0: Hey babe. Yeah, babe. What is your favorite dance movie?
1: None other than Center Stage
0: Obviously I mean I knew the answer When I asked the question But uh Yeah No I knew
1: Um <laughs> And since we're talking about soundtracks that slap, excuse me, before Napoleon Dynamite utilized Kwai, Center Stage mm-hmm. took that shit and ran. Mandy Moore has not one, but two songs on that soundtrack. Candy, which is the warm-up in their, in their BDC dance class. Yep. And then you've got I Want to Be With You when she's having sex with with, with um, famous ballet star wh- whatever his name is, and <laughs> Jody. Jodie Sawyer, and then we have basically that huge dance sequence at the end. That's just the entire movie, but in a dance sequence. So you don't even need to watch the whole movie; just watch <laughs> just the dance sequence. Just recaps the whole plot. It in recaps ten minutes. the entire plot. Um, uh, Peter Gallagher's in it in all of his yep. glory. Like it's it's just the best. What about you? <laughs> <laughs>
0: So I'm a sucker for dance movies. Um, we've covered one of my favorites on this podcast, Black Swan. Yeah, um, but I would say you know, Honey's in that list. Mm-hmm. Uh, say the Last Dance is in that list. Obviously, Step Up. Yeah, that's probably the hottest <laughs> one, other than Magic Mike. Right. Yeah. But
1: I guess you know, you could same vibe. Magic Mike is a dance movie. Yeah,
0: it's literally a dance movie. <laughs> Uh, Hustlers?
1: Yeah, that's a close second. I just thought of that when you said Magic Mike. I was like, wait, maybe Hustlers. Hustlers probably is the closest dance movie that gives Center Stage a run for its money for me.
0: Yeah, that's that's how I'd put it.
1: That scene with Usher, Olivia and I cried in the theater. (laughs) We got weepy. Oh my goodness. Yeah.
0: But uh, that's not the dance movie, or those are none of the dance movies we're talking about today.
1: Correct. Hey, babe. Yeah, babe. Remember that time we watched Suspiria?
0: (laughs) Yes, I do. The 1977 Dario Argento masterpiece.
1: Correct. It is not a probiotic yogurt sponsored by Jamie Lee Curtis.
0: Shout out to Jamie Lee and her poops.
1: Activia. (laughs) Activia. It just fits too well. I'm sorry.
0: I just love Jamie Lee Curtis and her poops.
1: You know, staying regular is very important. Also, getting that check is very important. Good exactly. for her. Exactly.
0: Halloween residuals don't last forever.
1: Not forever, no. So I'm Nicole. I'm Topher. And we're the Horror Babes. Not here to talk about poops, I promise. Meh. And regularity. Hmm. Yeah, I, I guess. I guess anything goes on this podcast. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Who even listens to us anymore? But Me. anyway, just in, just in case you're new here, I'm going to explain exactly what's about to go down. Topher's going to take us through who made this thing, shout out the cast and the crew, and then I will take us through the plot, and then in our third installment, we will analyze said plot, but first, do we have any horror news this week?
0: Sure do. Yes. Yeah, we are still, still waiting for more news, but we haven't shouted it out yet. Karen Kusama has a has a Dracula project in the works, and I can't fucking wait. Wait.
1: Oh, yeah. Her and Chloe Zhao
0: are both doing uh, Draculas. Um, Chloe Zhao's is going to be like a Western sort of thing, is what I hear. Yeah. Um, But Karen Kusama, queen, can do no wrong, has a Dracula project in the works. That's Um, very exciting. And it's been on on the books for like two years, and she just keeps being so tight-lipped about it.
1: Good. I don't want to know anything.
0: Yeah. Fair enough. Um, I know it's going to be good. That's what I know. (laughs) um Sebastian Stan has been rumored to play the title role so okay yeah
1: Dracula is the gift that keeps on giving
0: truly and it can't be worse than Francis Ford Coppola's 1993 or 4 Bram Stoker's Dracula yeah uh what a piece of shit (laughs) starring a piece of shit Gary Oldman um yeah and the Northman comes out this month April 18th nice yeah actually it comes out this weekend now that I'm thinking about it
1: we have a lot of movies to go see. We still haven't seen X.
0: Yeah, well, we'll get to it.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're unfortunately very busy people at the moment. Uh, yeah. Oof.
0: Um, but yeah, that's the big news uh, from this week. It's just that the the Karen Kusama stuff has been kind of on the back burner and talks are happening again. So I'm guessing that they're about to cast. Yeah. It seems like they might be in pre-pro. So. I'm available. I Yes.
1: Shameless plug. Not that anybody important listens to us, but
0: but hey, Karen, <laughs> if you are, she's just available. Kidding. She was just in the Dracula musical last uh, last year, so
1: <laughs> this is true. Just kidding, though. Each and every one of you are important in your own special way. And Ralph einison if you're still listening to us, I said your name right. We love you. We love you.
0: I hope he's still a fan.
1: I don't know, man. He seemed kind of <laughs> upset that we mispronounced his name for an hour and a half
0: and didn't know the shirt was called a shift. <laughs>
1: You know, the more you know.
0: Hey, we learned. No
1: better, do better.
0: Exactly. <laughs>
1: so I guess, without further ado, then, who made this thing?
0: None other than the absolute master of horror after John Carpenter, Dario Argento.
1: Very divisive. He's more divisive than John Carpenter. Oh sure. yeah, yeah. You yeah. either love this guy or you hate this guy. Correct.
0: So. <laughs> yeah. But Dario Argento invented vibes. That's fair. Uh, no, I absolutely adore him. Actually, he has a movie coming out this year. Oh. Yeah, at the end of the year he's got a new movie coming out.
1: Tying that back into the news.
0: <laughs> yeah. I just I'm, I'm like I love that he's still fucking working. <laughs> he's been working for like 50 years.
1: Good for him. You exactly. Know, once again, get that bag.
0: Exactly. Cash that check. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and keep making things that ca- that provide checks to be cashed. Yes. So, yeah, I'm a huge Argento fan. Um, if you don't know him, I, I am very confused. But, um, yeah, I mean, he his major works are well Suspir- this, is, this is the first of a trilogy he did. Um, yeah, he's from Rome. Um, his dad is a major producer, so he is a nepotism child. You would know him from Deep Red, uh, Phenomena, or Creepers um opera he also did a phantom of the opera like he's done just so much shit um, yeah. <laughs> he really is just the dude um he is one of the most famous italian directors i'd put him so i would say it's sergio leone george romero and then dario argento for m- most famous italian directors right yeah like that's the big three
1: the, the holy trinity. <laughs> Unholy, <you> really. <laughs> yeah. Um, I say that in a very cheeky manner.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's based on a, like, 1840s essay. Thomas Quincy wrote this uh, series of essays, um, and, like, their prose poems. Okay. Um, so, yeah, he was trying to, like, understand memory through uh, hallucinogens. Mm-hmm. Um, but Suspiria de profundis uh, is Latin, and it means size from the depths.
1: Interesting. Yeah,
0: like a assessoras, you know? Have you ever heard that word?
1: That definition doesn't seem to match this movie, but maybe it does. I'm just not reading into it enough. I don't know.
0: <laughs> I think it's more that, like, Argento was saying Suspiria means size, right? It's It'd be Suspirius, I think, and then Suspiria. In okay. Latin, but these are the size from the depths. Uh, this poor ballet dancer. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, he co-wrote the screenplay with uh, Dario Daria Nicolodi. Um, not Nicolodian, Nicolodi. Um, she was a frequent collaborator of his and only died a couple years ago. Hmm. Um, yeah, she died back in uh, 2020. Um, but yeah, they, they wrote a lot of their screenplays together. So it stars the amazing Jessica Harper as Susie Banyan, mm-hmm. our protagonist. She's been in absolutely everything, um, but this is definitely her most famous role. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was involved in the uh, in the remake as well, as a producer, I believe.
1: Yeah, the remake came out in what, 2017, 18? 18, yeah. 18. I haven't seen it yet, but um, after seeing this, I would love to.
0: Yeah. It's I, it's one that's been on my list for a while. We have Stefania Cassini as Sarah, one of her classmates. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love her because she was an architect and then decided to start acting.
1: Go off, queen. Go yeah, right? Off, you know, I love that.
0: Yeah, because you have your backup career. If acting doesn't work out, I'm like, hey, I'm an architect.
1: It sounds like architecture didn't work out and her backup plan was acting. <laughs> Go off, queen.
0: Exactly. Uh, we have... Barbara uh, Manolfi, Magnolfi as Olga, our uh, roommate, mm-hmm. our very pretty roommate. <laughs> they like make a whole deal about how hot she is. Yeah. Uh, from the first time she's shown.
1: Well, you have to have the contrast between her and doe-eyed Susie.
0: Exactly. You know. Yeah. Yeah, she's the she's the femme fatale, and Susie is the. Uh, final girl
1: <laughs> yeah you see that you see that structure in a million different iterations like one of um one of the farthest removed from a horror film is don't trust the Bee" in in, in apartment 23 you have to have that dramatic tension between like chloe and um june june J- doe-eyed june and then um Hottie chloe. Yeah. yeah like you always have to have that well you don't always but like it's a very popular it's a common um, trope yeah yeah
0: um, we have Alita Volley as Miss Tanner and Joan Bennett as Madame Blanc. Um, yeah, I love the cast here. Oh, fun fact. Um, both writers and the director uh, have cameos in this movie. Um, Daria is the woman at the airport and Dario is the narrator in the Italian version. Okay. Yeah. So because we're doing soundtracks that slap, um, Dario Argento did write the music. He's, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's very classic, very common. Um, But he did it with the band Goblin.
1: Yes. Which is like prog rock, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, Yeah, they're an Italian prog rock band. um, And yeah, they worked with Argento multiple times. But yeah, I mean, Goblin just is a dope prog rock band. And I'm a fan of prog rock in general. I am too. I,
1: I, I... I wouldn't say I listen to it all the time, but I do I do enjoy it when I do listen to it. Yeah, I mean, um, we
0: both love uh, Rush and... Um, I mean, Prokel Harum's an early prog rock band. But, you know, there's also uh, uh, Styx we both love and, obviously, fucking Alan Parsons' Project.
1: Yeah. No, 100%. Um, and I, <laughs> I have to admit, yesterday I had, like, the most raging headache... In the entire world I was so tired Um, But I was like I was curious about this soundtrack So I That's right This is your first time seeing this movie Yeah I was curious about the soundtrack So I went on Spotify Trying to find You know um, Either a playlist Or you know An album And I found it um, From the 1977 version And I started listening to it And it was like it, it's really dope. Like I, it's I was so really enjoying listening to it, but it was making my headache so much worse. I couldn't <laughs> finish it. I was like on the train, like oh my god. But that being said, like if uh, like it does what it's supposed to, if it gives you more, like that's a good thing here. Yeah. You know, like absolutely. that's actually a good thing if you're trying to build like suspense and terror. <laughs> like <laughs> making someone's headache worse is like not a negative comment.
0: Yeah, it's more or less what it's supposed to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah our cinematographer was uh Luciano Tavoli. Um another amazing just like still working to this day. Dude was born in 36 and he's still working. Lord. Hey, good for him. Much more sparingly than he used to, but his last credit was in 2019.
1: So. Yeah. Damn. Um
0: our editor was Franco Fredicelli. Again, he worked, he's just done everything with uh mm-hmm. with uh, Argento. Yeah. Um, he died uh, about 10 years ago, but um, yeah, up until then, he was just working with Argento constantly. Right. And our production designer was Giuseppe Bassan. Again, nice. another uh, Argento just buddy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I forgot to mention, uh, Goblin actually worked with Romero as well. They worked on Dawn of the Dead oh, the nice. next year after this. They did that, uh, that soundtrack and mm-hmm. score. That's cool. This movie didn't really get a uh, wide release in America, but it did get a wide release in uh, Italy. Would you like to guess what the box office was?
1: No, tell me. I hate numbers.
0: Fair enough. One point four three billion pounds.
1: See, I don't even. That's not a number to me. Like, that's, I don't understand. It's, yeah,
0: that. it's ridiculous. That made it made like fucking Marvel money. Like,
1: yeah, that's pretty <laughs> crazy.
0: Um, and yeah, it only made a just a, a just short of two million here in the states. But like, fuck, dude, <laughs> this yeah. movie was bigger than God.
1: That's pretty intense.
0: Yeah. Uh, love it. Um, yeah, it's a nice tight runtime. It's 99 minutes with credits mm-hmm. um, and yeah, it's in the original is in Italian. it's uh, also they were so here's the thing. A lot of these films done by Italian directors were done with either Italian actors speaking Italian on set or they were speaking English on set, but they were dubbed over by uh, American actors. So, like, you see this yeah. in the Man with No Name trilogy. You see this in um, some of the uh, some of Romero's earlier work. So, it's it's just a thing that happened um, for a long time. Um, and so, yeah, it's it can be a little rough to watch. You were mentioning this last night.
1: Yeah, I personally have trouble uh, with with uh, those movies that that fall under that category, just because it's a little bit off putting. Um, from the beginning. So it's a little bit distracting for me, but once you kind of get past that, this movie is really um is really great. I think I think I just always have to take a moment of like, okay, that's what's going on here because when you first see people speak and it's like a 10th of a millisecond off, like like it's it's it, that yeah. much that just like bothers me. If it was completely, you know, if they were speaking in Italian but then the dubs were English, I'm used to watching something like that. I'm sure. just not always used to watching um these dubbed films in that in that way. So, but I mean, I got over it by like a third of the way in and it was fine. It's really just like it's a weird like brain adjustment for me and sure. once I get there, I'm like on board and it's fine. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um yeah, cuz it, it was a thing back in the day of like whenever you were recording on set, you typically particularly for films that were being going to be sold in America but were being filmed in Italy or Germany or wherever um they would be, the the audio, or the dialogue would be done through ADR. Yeah. Um, and that's even, that's pretty common these days, too. It's just better now. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, uh, unfortunately, yeah, it, it, it can be a little rough for some people. I For me, I just, I, I don't see it anymore. Because yeah. I've watched so many of these, like, Italian jo- film is my, probably my favorite genre. Or, like, the, like, 60s to... 60s and 70s Italian film really just like does it for me. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've seen so much of it that I'm just like, oh, okay, it doesn't. It. Like you pointed it out last night, I was like, oh, huh, yeah,
1: yeah. You might just be used to it, and I am just yeah. It's not... a, it's
0: just an inundation. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, that's enough of me talking. Uh, what happens in this movie?
1: Um, it's basically center stage, but scary. No, it's <laughs> <laughs> you're not
0: you're not wrong, wrong.
1: I know. Like at the beginning, I was kind of like. Mm. I see it. Um, but anyway, it's, we've got uh, Susie Banyan, like you uh, mentioned earlier. A young American ballet student arrives in Freiburg, um, Germany, during a torrential downpour to study at the co-ed Tans Dance Academy.
0: Tans Dance Academy.
1: Yeah. A, pres- a prestigious German dance school. She sees another student, Pat, flee the school in terror. Susie, uh, she's refused entry to the school and then is forced to stay in town overnight. And Pat takes refuge at a friend's apartment and tells her that something sinister happened at the school. Pat is then basically...
0: She's, like, lured by, to the window by this, like, werewolf motherfucker.
1: Yeah, and then she's um, stabbed repeatedly and is dragged to the roof of the apartment building before hanging her with a noose by throwing her through the building's skylight.
0: She get Her face gets shoved through glass twice in the opening, <laughs> opening sequence of this movie.
1: Yikes. And then Pat's friend is also killed from the skylight. Um, the glass, she's impaled by um, the shards of glass. While trying to alert other tenants to the murder, basically.
0: Yeah, she gets one in the brachial, uh, some metal through the chest and stomach, and then a whole fucking slice of glass through the middle of her face. It's, it's amazing. Rough.
1: Yeah, and then Susie. Two
0: dope kills.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. For, right off the bat, I mean, that's that's how you catch our attention, right? Like there's yeah. so many horror films where I'm like, the first the first kill is very important.
0: Yeah, because Pat's literally like he stabs her so many times that her heart is exposed, and then he stabs her in the oh. heart and then shoves her face through the stained glass ceiling and then throws her through the stained glass ceiling breaking it it's it's so fucking cool and like the the hang actually hits
1: this movie is not shy about showing some gore
0: yeah the only
1: it, it, exception is maybe the the dog in like the middle of this movie when he starts like eating the man's face. Like we kinda cut away and don't really see as much not as much as like a free bleeding like heart that's then being exposed sure. and stabbed. Yeah. You know yeah. what I the mean? The dog
0: is, the dog's definitely eaten, but yeah. We um, don't
1: we don't see as much. But anyway. Yeah. Um then Susie goes back to the school the next morning. She meets Miss Tanner, the head instructor, and Madame Blanc basically translates to white lady. It Um, really does. (laughs) Quite literally. Um, The deputy headmistress. And then Tanner introduces Susie to Pavlos, who's uh, one of the school servants. He doesn't speak because he only speaks Romanian. Um, He has these hilarious veneers in. Yes. Um... That he's like, he's so handsome after he got his veneer or got his teeth fixed or whatever. (laughs) Um, Makes me laugh. And then uh, she also meets Sarah and Olga, her new classmates. Um, Olga's her new roommate. And then Susie experiences a very unsettling encounter with one of the school's matrons and Blanc's nephew, Albert. And then passes out during dance class. Homegirl is falling out of everything. She... It's kind of funny to me because I just kind of... I, I don't know what she's supposed to be experiencing, but, like, she's just... I don't know. Mm-hmm. She's... It's... The pirouettes end up killing her. She's... Or or maybe it's <laughs> Shanae's. I'm not sure. She just starts turning, and then she just falls out of it from on point. Yeah. Hits, hits her head, starts bleeding.
0: Yeah, bleeding from the nose and mouth. They're like, Oh, no, you've got to be on a specific diet. Oh, no, you have to stay at the school.
1: Yeah. Um... And Olga has thrown her out of her apartment, forcing her to live at the school with Sarah in the room next door.
0: Yeah, Olga's a, a bitch.
1: Deaf. And then the students are preparing for dinner one night, and we see all of these maggots raining down from the ceilings of their rooms, due to a shipment of spoiled food in the attic. Which forces them all to sleep in one of the dance studios at night. And then during the night, a woman enters the room but is obscured by a curtain hung around the room's perimeter. This movie is very vibey. So all all of these, like, descriptions that I'm, uh, you know, giving, it it has basically nothing to do with the plot. It's really just, like, set in the mood. Mm -hmm. Um, Sarah, who's scared by... uh, by her horse and labored breathing, um, this lady is she's she's not doing well. It mm-hmm. doesn't sound right. Um, but then recognizes her as the school's headmistress, who is supposedly out of town.
0: Ooh, mystery.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then we've got the school's uh, pianist, who is blind, Daniel. He's abruptly fired by Miss Tanner, like in the middle of class, um, after his German Shepherd bites Albert who is this terrifying looking child who's dressed like Angus Young from ACDC. <laughs> right. not <and doesn't laughs> with a worse a, haircut. Doesn't say a word. Mm-mm. And it's just like, I don't know if he's real. Um, and then Daniel is stalked by an unseen force while walking through a plaza um, later that night. His dog ends up like turning on him completely and just rips out his throat, eats his face, all that good his stuff. his guts. Yeah. yeah. Gross. Um, Sarah then tells Susie that she was the one on the intercom who refused her entry the night Pat was murdered. And then she says that Pat was behaving strangely before her death and then promises to show Susie the notes that she left behind. Sarah finds Pat's notes are missing and is forced to flee when an unseen assailant enters the room. They pursue her through the school before cornering her in the attic and she escapes through a small window before falling into a pit of razor wire.
0: Such a good kill.
1: I was like, no, this is an amazing kill because they use that very typical horror tactic where you're like, yes, girl, yes. Like, you've got this. You've got time. You've got this. This person, you know, you're going to be all right. I can see the you're way smart, out. You're smart.
0: You're doing all the right things. I can
1: see the window. I can see the way out. And then... Your heart sinks when you see that she falls into a pit of razor wire. Which,
0: why do they even have that? This school is less safe than Hogwarts, and that's saying something. Yeah. Like, yeah. This sure, the stairs change all the time, and blah, blah, blah. There's trolls in the dungeons, and yada, yada, yada. But why do you have an entire room of razor wire? You don't need that.
1: I know. It's It's... This whole place is just... Complete hell. And <laughs> yeah, so like your heart completely sinks um, mm-hmm. once you think that she's like free and everything. So this really plays on um, the audience's emotions, which is really great. Again, it's a tactic that's used very often in horror films where you get that relief of like, okay, they're going to be okay. Yeah. Um, and then huh, they're not because mm. this razor wire allows the her pursuer to basically, I mean, kill her slashing her throat. Um, it's trapped her, you know? Yeah. Um, and while it's trapping her, it's injuring her. Like yeah, she's scratches being slashed anyway. And yeah. Yeah, and then he kind of just finishes the job. Honestly. Seriously. Um, and then because, because yeah, there was there was no way she was ever gonna she was gonna get out of that. Yeah, you really um, don't.
0: It's a very saw-like moment.
1: For sure. And then Susie investigates Sarah's disappearance the next morning. Tanner tells her that Sarah has fled the school. Susie's like, eh, I don't think so, bitch. This is sus. This is sus. <laughs> Um, she contacts Sarah's friend and former psychiatrist, Frank Mandel. He what re- a
0: shrink name.
1: Right. Um, he reveals that the school was established by a Greek emigree, Helena Marcos, who was allegedly a witch. A witch. She's a witch. I be the witch of the wood. Um, <laughs> Susie also consults with Professor Milius, a professor of the occult. he's Spooky. Re- Spooky. Hmm um tell me all you know um um, he reveals that a coven of witches perishes without their leader from whom they draw power
0: that is not what i learned from the movie the witches but fine
1: you know there's just so it's like a game of telephone we don't know exactly everyone makes up their own rules
0: look i trust miss houston with my life because she was morticia adams
1: that's fair mommy mommy sorry mommy sorry and then when Susie returns to the school, she finds that everyone has left to attend the the Bolshoi Ballet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after being attacked by a bat, oh, so sad, she has to kill the bat. Yeah. Um, she recalls a, a conversation with Sarah about footsteps. She follows the sound of them carefully, which leads her to Madame Blanc's office.
0: Yeah, and she counts her steps on the way there because uh, Sarah had told her, you i heard the footsteps if you count them that'll lead you to blah 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 right
1: yeah because she's she's very smart she says like i don't think that these teachers leave like they say they they do yeah. because they walk the opposite way from the exit
0: exactly her and uh, sarah and susie figured it out together yeah um yeah they're very clever
1: and then, remembering that Pat uttered the words secret and iris the night that she was killed, Susie discovers a hidden door that opens by turning a blue iris on a mural in Blanc's office. This Alice in Wonderland ass shit
0: mm-hmm. right I here. mean, it was a literal, in- it was a literal uh, influence on this movie.
1: No, I love it.
0: Yeah, it's amazing.
1: I love it. Um, Susie enters the corridor and finds the Academy's instructors, led by Madame Blanc, plotting her demise in the form of a human sacrifice. Yeah,
0: she- Bitch has to die.
1: Yeah, because I mean, because she's asking questions, mm-hmm. and then Albert alerts Pavlos to Susie's presence, and then Susie hides in an alcove where she finds Sarah disfigured. Sarah's disfigured corpse. She finds the corpse of Sarah. Cute, cute, cute. cute. <laughs> Looking never looked better. Um, <laughs> and then pursued by Pavlos, uh, Susie retreats to Helena Marcos's bedroom. Susie finds Marcos sleeping, recognizing her as the headmistress by her labored breathing. She accidentally wakes her by breaking a decorative peacock with crystal plumage.
0: Uh, mm-hmm. plum-
1: plumage. Plumage. Uh,
0: plumage.
1: Um, plumage? Plumage? Plumage. Plumage?
0: Plumage? to your death. Yeah. Like Sarah.
1: Uh, yeah. Um, Marcos renders herself invisible and taunts Susie, which is horrifying. Most of the time, okay, I'm going to say most of the time in horror films, I'm like, when you hear like you know someone like a human voice kind mm-hmm. of being creepy and like speaking, you can rationalize like that's a human voice and like sure it's a device to be spooky, but like it doesn't really work on me normally. Yeah, this completely works on me. This voice actor was like Did killing a really the game. Good job. Yeah, killing the game. Like I this was is where on,
0: ADR comes in helpful.
1: I was honestly like, I was. Uh, this was very scary. This reminded mm-hmm. me of a nightmare that I literally had as like a ten-year-old uh, or something. <laughs> Um yeah. And so this this got me. Uh, Marcos renders herself invisible, and yeah, she's taunting Susie before reanimating um, Sarah's mutilated corpse to try and murder her um, with like a knife or whatever. Yeah. And then uh, there's flashes of lightning um, that kind of reveal Marcos's silhouette a little yeah, bit. Yeah, we get the
0: silhouette and we get the breathing still. Yes. Because invisible is not inaudible. Because if she's gonna mock her, then she has to have the breathing still.
1: Definitely. And then Susie ends up impaling her through the neck with one of the peacock's broken glass so quills. So
0: good, so good.
1: Yeah, and then Marcos's death causes Sarah's corpse to vanish, which, again, this is, like, a weird rule that's been made up because we know that, like, with um, um, vampires, you stake them through the heart, right? Yeah,
0: and if you kill the vampire, the lead, like, the head vampire, then the rest die.
1: Right, it's, it's kind of interesting that this is kind of taking on um, that... Uh, that ideology in a way
0: yeah i mean we've seen this before too though when we covered uh, black sunday
1: yeah for sure and it's it's interesting though how like i feel like um it, it is like it is a trope that's used like to kill evil you kill like the main as the final girl you kill like the main um entity and that mm-hmm. obviously we know that that strips the power from any of the disciples like i don't know yeah. for lack of a better word um but anyway this also causes Sarah's corpse to vanish because that was under her spell, blah blah blah. And then Susie flees as the school starts to implode. It's all up on fire all in flames. There's a storm going on outside. Madame Blanc Bricks
0: are falling everywhere.
1: Yeah, Miss Tanner, Pavlos, and the rest of the coven perish without the power of Marcos to sustain them. And then Susie escapes into the rainy night as the school is consumed by fire roll credits. That's it. That's all she wrote. Fantastic. Yeah.
0: I love this movie. So I love at the end of this movie, just like real quick, that instead of what all these film dudes would do now, which would be knowing that everybody's going to watch and rewatch and rewatch and rewatch this movie, um, today, if this movie was made today, you would have people counting Sarah's steps or Susie's steps as she leaves the uh, mansion yeah, or the academy. Um, he just cuts away completely. He's like, nope, you can't see. Like, she's just running. Oh, and here she, here she is. Here she is. Here she is. But uh, somebody t- if somebody made this today, they would absolutely do, like, uh-oh, did she really escape? Because she didn't take the same amount of steps.
1: Oh, right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, it was just one of those things. I, I think I wanted it out last night, but it's, just, like, something I love about this movie is that he's like, no, fuck that shit.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, but yeah, if it was made today, it was absolutely what went on, because... If you didn't do the right amount of steps, then everybody on fucking Letterboxd and Twitter would be like, oh, well, that's uh, that's a real problem here. That's my film bro voice. Wow.
1: <laughs> I love it. Very accurate.
0: But yeah, that, that, that's my like quick aside <laughs> about yeah. the ending of the film.
1: Yeah. Um, so I love this film as well. Um, this I, is your
0: first Argento, right?
1: I think so. I might have accidentally watched one and just like, didn't know. Yeah. Like, that happens sometimes. Um, but, no, I I really enjoyed this. I enjoy how much of a... Um, this feels like... This feels like a nightmare. Mm. In the most, yeah. like, vibey way. Because of all of these horrible things that are happening. Um, and... All of the lighting and all of like the color theory, like you were um, kind of mentioning last night when oh, we were God, watching I love it. The color
0: theory, in this movie—it's so um, pretty.
1: It puts you in that nightmare feeling uh, sure, yeah. where where things aren't completely real, but outside of the school or whatever, things feel pretty grounded in reality.
0: Yeah, when we are at Olga's apartment, other than the, the I guess the opening sequence where uh, Pat and her friend are killed. Um, yeah. Other than that, yeah, when we're outside of the school, things feel, there are neutral tones. Um, exactly. They're, yeah, they're brightly lit. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I love how the, so we've talked a lot about how certain um, aspects of the making of the film become a character themselves. Uh, I would definitely argue that the soundtrack, like we've said in previous uh episodes of this series that the soundtrack in this is a character of its own. It oh, yeah. really and sets it the does, tone. It also
0: exists independent.
1: And it sounds like Footloose.
0: It really does. The score. <laughs> we remember,
1: I, we were watching it and I was like, I'm hearing Footloose right now because of the where no where no da And it just...
0: It's just funny because it predates it. So it must I be know. Footloose. Like Kenny Loggins stole from Goblin. Are you a Suspiria Goblin.
1: fan? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Kenny
0: Loggins is a huge Goblin fan.
1: It's hilarious to me because... It literally sounds like the title track on foot in Footloose. Yeah. <laughs> but it just keeps repeating that sort of like bass line. We might have like even a didgeridoo going on here. I'm there's, not yeah, positive. there's some sort of
0: wo- there's some sort of like, like droning woodwind.
1: Whoa, whoa. Yeah, it's so cool. Um, I would highly recommend uh listening to this soundtrack just like on Spotify. It's it's fascinating. And then you've got the um, You've got the kind of like uh, nursery rhyme, like music oh, box was, sound sorry, with the whispering. A, it was a Moog, not a... It was a Moog. It, it sounded like... It's a
0: Moog synth, but it was, yeah. I, I'm looking through like... Sorry, I'm just looking through the... Uh, the. Um, sure.
1: No, I'm glad you solved the... Because yeah. I was like, it yeah, sounds like a didgeridoo, but it's being played incorrectly if it's a didgeridoo. Yeah.
0: So they played um, on a mini Moog and a System 55. Um, gotcha. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and then you've got that, like, music box um, with, like, the, the demonic whisperings underneath. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's brilliant. Very Rosemary's
0: Baby. Yes, it's Which was brilliant. a big influence on this.
1: Mm-hmm. Which um. you can totally tell with the whole, um, the 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 color theory, again, in, yeah. in this is very similar to Rosemary's Baby, except this is definitely more overt with, like, the gels and... Um, yeah the different lights being used and it's and... super
0: bright I, I, that's the thing about this movie is like if, we were watching the retouch the 40th anniversary retouch i yeah. think um which is fantastic uh but yeah it was super great and like um de palma was another big influence because harper had just been in phantom of the paradise uh three years earlier yeah which is a great movie that no one really talks about anymore um it's it's having a little bit of a renaissance right now but like de palma amazing
1: No, 100%. Yeah, I think that this is a really good example if we're talking about um, soundtracks that slap here and um, how that can take on different iterations in different Mm. mediums and how we can look at it through different lenses. I think looking at, at, at that idea through a Suspiria lens is that... The music and the lighting work together as a team to create this aesthetic character that just adds to the experience exponentially. And I think one without the other wouldn't be as powerful. It's kind of like a perfect in tandem, you know, like relationship here. Um, And... Yeah, I think that both of those things together we kind of create. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs was a huge inspiration for this yes, film, and you yes. can really see that in like the lighting and the color theory and all of that. And you Even know, just in the
0: casting of Harper.
1: Yeah, we've got yeah, we've got like our our doe eyed um, ingenue, I guess you could say. Yeah, um, she's ingenue-ish. And who's being you know, um, uh, and then there's a witch in Snow White as well, mm-hmm. um, a crone like witch, um, yeah. and same thing here, so. So all of that is kind of working together to create this nightmarish experience for the audience member. And that plus the music just being very inventive. And I this is the reason why I love it when a, when a band decides to do a horror film or work on a horror film because yeah. it's their own flavor. It's their own influence. But then you layer in, again, like in every single one of those tracks, you've got like, whisperings underneath of being like a witch, a witch yeah but it's like this like prog or rock blue iris yeah like you yeah you hear those yeah yeah it's almost <laughs> it almost takes on like um a it almost takes on uh the form of like an opera in a way where like right like i'm kind of thinking of this as a little bit like um like Berlioz Requiem or something, where Ooh, you've got yeah,
0: good pull. Well,
1: so you've got a lot of undertones in that in in that piece of uh, in that in that art where where people are. I, I'm getting too excited, so my words are escaping me. That's but fine. No, go for you've, it. You've got a lot of these undertones of like. The whispering and the even like the low singing in that that just is throughout that entire score and then you kind of have this here where it's a through line yeah where um you've got this prog rock this kind of like warped sound and then underneath that you got kind of like this whispering of like yeah you said like blue iris or yeah. like a witch a witch a witch yep. and it it makes you really. Um, makes you really nervous it makes you really stressed yes, out yeah. um this
0: movie is this movie is tense as shit
1: so yeah i mean I, I just i find this so 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 cool and and i don't always love like super super artsy like it, it, things can easily go from being Um, something presented in an artful way to being like up its own ass.
0: Last week we talked about under the skin. I know exactly what you mean.
1: Yeah. Like, yeah, A24 kind of walks that line a lot. They luckily don't normally cross it. Like I normally genuinely enjoy A24 films. Yeah, I mean, they
0: keep throwing money at Alex Garland, the artiest motherfucker in the world. (laughs) Him and Robert Eggers. like
1: Yeah. and, And so, but this this, again, this feels like it's, this feels like it's heavily influenced by multiple things, but it's all come together to become its own thing. And you would know you could watch five seconds of a five second clip of that movie and you would know exactly what movie it is. Yes, you would. There would be no question um, whatsoever.
0: Yeah. And a lot of that comes from. So it's time for time for Topher's nerdy shit. Uh <laughs> everybody's favorite segment yes um so the reason that the colors pop so much in this movie um it was one of the very last uh, features to be processed using um imbibition technicolor yeah it was literally the last remaining machine in rome um so imbibition for those who don't know which is probably most of you and i don't mean that in a bad way i mean that in a bad way towards me um so the basics of it is it's a very specific type of diffusion that happens when you put uh, when water uh, is absorbed by solids, colloids. Yeah, um, so it makes it uh, it, in- it increases the volume basically. Yeah. Um, so y- you use all this different stuff like wetting fluid, um, it- it's just a way of doing the prints, basically. Yeah, um, and it just it's what makes Technicolor technicolor in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, Which when you are talking about Snow White, that was how that was done. Wizard of Oz was done this way. Gone with the Wind was done this way. Like a lot of those, a lot of your like movies that you think about of like, holy shit, the colors in this. That's what it, that's what you're looking at.
1: 100%. Um, And then again, the Alice in Wonderland um, influences as well. Mm -hmm. um, Where again, you've got this kind of like down the rabbit hole uh, feeling of this school. Yeah. where when you enter this school, it does feel a little otherworldly. And it's um, because of the atmosphere that's been set. And kind of just like... The teachers and everyone that we run into are kind of a caricature of themselves. Like, we've got... You were like, that lady looks like John Cleese because she has these crazy yeah. teeth in. <laughs> and then, you know, you've got... Um, you've you've got the uh, the guy that only speaks Romanian, so he can't speak at all. Like, it, it, yeah. it none of it really... It's it's a little bit Lynchian in the way that it like doesn't really make oh, sense. Oh, Lynch
0: loves this movie. He said oh, it, he said that of this course. is what made Twin Peaks and um, Blue Velvet and Mulholland Drive the, no, look, it makes the way they do.
1: No, it makes 100% complete sense. And it's like, he's definitely taken from this where everything feels a little bit off, but you just kind of accept it as part of the world. Like, you you question it maybe for a minute, but then you're just like, okay, okay, fine. Because the, the plot has already moved on. Right. So you're just like, oh, okay, great. Um, And it just adds to that kind of, like, nightmarish, like, we don't know why this is happening, but it is sort of um, feeling. And then, you know, you're being being offset by (laughs) just like complete caricatures of humans in this in this movie.
0: So another movie that this heavily influenced was the original Matrix, uh, because, you know, who's a huge fucking fan of this movie is Horror Babes Alumni. Bill Pope,
1: I still have not seen The Matrix.
0: That is right. I for always forget that. It's a blind but, spot. But you know Bill Pope because he worked with he's worked with um. You know Bill Pope because he's worked with Sam Raimi a bunch, right? Um, they're good friends. Um, and yeah, so he was the guy who invented Bullet Time. Um, he also shot Scott Pilgrim in the first. Of the, like he's worked with a uh, Edgar Wright a few times as well because everybody's just friends. <laughs> um, so he. Yeah, he's fucking amazing, and uh, he's so he was a big fan of this movie. So the guy who invented Bullet Time and helped Sam Raimi develop the Raimi sequence is the guy who is like looking at this movie, going, "Yeah, that's how I want to use color." Yeah, he was using digital to recreate um, the Technicolor aspects. Yes. Yeah, that's just, it's 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 cool shit. This movie is such a huge influence on every nerdy person in film <laughs> uh even Edgar Wright's uh three color or the Cornetto trilogy yeah is he picked the colors based on the colors of the Cornettos yes but also was really lucky and he said like yeah Argento was the reason I wanted to do like three films based on color theory
1: yeah and we have this RGB um theme in this movie oh, yeah. throughout like yeah. it's, it's either red blue or green mm-hmm. um, which sucks for me but because <laughs> you can't see blue or green you yeah. can't see green it's that's, tough that's okay um I'll we live. make it through um but yeah i mean there's so much that has been said and there's so much to be said about how influential this film has been um, in many aspects, from the color theory, and then I think also to the soundtrack. Um, as we have well. to we have
0: to talk about the soundtrack more. It's so goddamn good.
1: I know it, it's it's just again it takes on its own it's its own character in this, and it works so well with uh, the set and everything else going on that you just kind of you recognize that it's there because again it slaps again we've really got does, yeah. we've got a, a a wacky sounding like footloose <laughs> but it
0: makes you unwell
1: and then you've just it, it sounds like you put it sounds like you like threw um your footloose like record like through like some shards of glass like it just scratched <laughs> it and it's just kind of like repeating but it's kind of warped too like it sat in the sun too so it's like <laughs>
0: <laughs> you tried to clean it but you used the wrong solution yeah it's yeah, like you it's used been bleach it. instead of Windex yeah
1: and I know that I keep saying this when Kenny Loggins wrote Footloose like way after this, but like it's just, I, I it was visceral when it came up. I was just like, when it came on yeah. on the movie, I was like, that's Footloose. <laughs> 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 I couldn't help it. Yeah. Um, I
0: mean, that's one thing, that, but I, speaking of the music, so this is something that I love about Italian film. Yeah. And I've talked about this before. I even, I think I talked about it last week or the week before, Ennio um, Morricone, right, who, re- who, uh, wrote the, who wrote the music for The Thing, but he also did the Man With No Name trilogy. Yeah. Um' I, something I've really appreciated about the, the our big three Italian directors. I mean, there's Mario Bava who we've talked about as well, but there's an attention to music and how music plays a character in Italian film that mm-hmm. I don't see in a lot of American film. Yeah, um, or Japanese film for that matter. Yeah, um, the only other like consistency I see is in South Korean film. And I'm really thinking about The Wailing, right? Yeah. How much music is a part of The Wailing, Um, which we covered uh, with Good Friend Primrock a while back. But um, the music in that is so important. Um, And I think we've talked about this. This is the whole point of this month, is that the music is fucking important for film.
1: In general, yes. And horror films have kind of um, exemplified that just because so many people have come on to do... Um, soundtracks for these films, specifically, they've been hired to do it. It's not yeah. like an afterthought by any means. Sometimes it's like Studio Six Six Six. Sometimes it's that's the what first starts, <laughs> It's the first thought. That's what starts the entire film.
0: Yeah, and I mean, there's yeah, there's a plenty. There's plenty of uh, movies that do that. Like Carpenter, sometimes he's like starts composing and then he's got a story to tell based yes. on the composition. Yeah, um, that's how he approached when he wrote. Uh, I think it was Fear Three was the video one of the video games he wrote. Um, that was how he approached it. He was like composing first and then he did the story. Yeah. Which I think is awesome. That's a really cool thing to do. Because um, you're talking about opera. This is operatic.
1: It really is. The way that it's structured, too, is a little bit like a play as well.
0: Yeah. It's given me Tosca. Yeah. You know, one of my, I mean, a, to name one of the best operas of all time, but like. <laughs> Because Tosca has like that like dreamlike quality to It's the reason I'm comparing it. You know, right? No, and I it get has that. those really horror elements to it. Like it's like it's a gothic opera, right? Um, much more so than his other works like Pavarotti or something. Like, uh, not Pavarotti, uh, Pagliacci. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. This I was very I was very pleased with this movie. Um, You're happy
0: with your first Argento experience?
1: Yeah, I mean, I he's again, like I said, he's very um, divisive, and I. Obviously, you you get your nerdy segment. I get my feminist segment. Go for it. Let's um, go. Let's hear it. So I'm gonna start with the pros first of this movie. I love that it's mostly a a, a um, female presenting cast. Mm-hmm. Um, it is everyone every every female presenting person in this in this cast has agency. Yes. Has um, intellect. Yeah, they're all smart.
0: They make the right decisions. They make the right decisions. For their their own uh, goals, yeah.
1: And the men in this movie are very, like... They're kind of just, like, side characters. They are on screen for maybe a total of, like, five minutes.
0: I think combined, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's what I mean. And so it's... That's really interesting to me that... That you have that component, which is amazing. I love that these women are so smart... And the final girl isn't this typical, like, sexualized... Like, the women aren't super sexualized other than, you know, their killing devices are very phallic, but I I don't know. Even then, like, razor it, wire. Yeah. Um, I mean,
0: a, a knife is always going to have some sort of phallic semblance to it, but...
1: So, on the other side of that, though, we're still seeing a lot of, like, mutilation of of women in right. this. So, I, I, would, I would be remiss if I didn't, like, talk about that. That's yeah. definitely a con here where... Um, and that's where I'm getting at. Like, I felt that the dog kind of like biting that guy's throat and whatnot Mm -hmm. was way less brutal than what all of the women went through. That's fair. And we didn't see as much of it. And I have a quote from Argento that says, um, it's a pretty disgusting quote. So I'll warn you guys. Um, it says, I like women, especially beautiful ones. If they have a good face and figure, I would much prefer to watch them being murdered than an ugly girl or man. I certainly don't have to justify myself to anyone about this.
0: Yeah, that checks out.
1: It's like, no, no, bro. Like... yeah. Like cool, um, so <laughs> come on, my guy. So I might be in this in this position where I don't like this person, but I am, am conflicted because I do like this movie. Yeah, um, because that's fucked up to say that. Yes, um, I think a lot of people feel that way, and it's a lot of the people. It's a lot of. Um, he's just saying the quiet part out loud. Yeah, exactly. Um, he's saying the quiet part out loud, and I think that that's a really like I really hope that. Um, I, I, that just gives sociopathic vibes to me. Like, I hope that he doesn't Mm -hmm. date people. You know what I mean? Because, like, when you, if you have that, if you have that viewpoint, I, I hate that. I hate that so much. And I, and I've, I've read a lot of essays about, you know, like, why do women love horror so much when we're watching ourselves pretty much be killed and mutilated? We've talked
0: about that a lot in this podcast.
1: And, that's still something that fascinates me because I love horror and I love that feeling that I get when... I think I have that kind of ability to separate myself in a way from it and kind of see it yeah. as a creative medium and mm-hmm, not mm-hmm, like a... Mm-hmm. Um, it depends on the movie, of course. There are some horror movies who that hit way too close to home. Yeah,
0: there's a few here and there, yeah.
1: But when it's, you know... Um, when it's very much so set in like a fantasy setting or, you know, it in, in something that's a little bit more sci fi oriented or just even like kind of nightmarish. When right. there's a very creative kill or I see something dramatically that's very, um that's very exciting, like again, you you kind of um the the kill with the razor wire where you're yeah. like, you have that relief moment, but then like that tension's rising, there's relief, but then They've completely um, you have you have mistrusted them. Like they sure. they led you to believe that they were going to be okay, but then they're not. So it's this up and down that you know we we view art to feel something. You I, know absolutely anything. Um, so I don't know. I I I struggle to find the answer to this. Why a lot of us really enjoy seeing this, even though a lot of times it is are bodies represented as being mutilated or right. and or sexualized. Oh, especially um, because you're a hot chick. I mean, yeah, I just... I'm, I'm
0: completely undermining your point but right, to make yeah. a joke. <laughs> I, I apologize.
1: How dare. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I struggle with that... Um, consistently and I think a lot of other people do a lot of other women do because there are plenty of you know books and essays on this very topic of like why do women enjoy seeing themselves being represented on screen as something that can be mutilated and sexualized at the same time like Mm. that sort of thing Um, but I don't know. It's again. It's it's a a, the reason. One of the reasons we have this podcast is because we don't have all the answers, and we're uh, always looking at different horror films. You know, using them as lenses to look at the bigger picture. Um, but yeah, I just I wanted to share that little.
0: I'm fully yeah. No, that's the con
1: of this movie for sure. (laughs) Um, but there are so many pros that kind of. I don't want to say outweigh it because that's really fucked up that he said that. Yes. Um, but. I don't know. All in all, I will definitely watch this movie again.
0: Totally. Yeah, I it it, it I knew Argento was a, a a right piece of shit himself. Uh, it's a shame because his I love his movies. Um, and we are eventually we've teased this before, but eventually we're going to do an Argento month, right? Yeah. Because he's just such an influential piece of horror history. Mm-hmm. Um. I will say it, anything feminist. I'm gonna guess then comes from uh, his frequent co- collaborator Daria Nicolodi. Yeah, um, because I I have to believe that it's kind of like like Carpenter's not a piece of shit, but he has said like, oh, oops, when it comes to yeah. representing women, yeah, it was uh it was his co creator of everything, uh, Deborah Hill, who would like slip things in.
1: This is why it's important to have women in the room.
0: Bing bong. <laughs> Um, in fact, uh, that final sequence that you love so much, that you want to marry, that I love too, uh, was Nickelodeon. Uh, it was based on a dream she had when she was in L.A. Ah. Yeah, she was talking about that at the, um, they were interviewing her during the 20th, 25th anniversary of the movie. Um, and yeah, she was like, yeah, that's uh, that's where it came from. I wrote that shit.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, we, we we definitely have to say, too, that, like, beyond having kind of different... Uh, this is a predominantly female-presenting cast, and then, you know, you do have a lot of different uh, body shapes and sizes, but that's kind of where the inclusivity stops. Oh, yeah. It's what And, I mean, it is definitely, um, I mean, this is never an excuse, but it is Sign of the Times here, um, 1977 Italian film, um, predominantly.
0: Yeah, but Romero, like... Yeah. Making films about being black in America, even though he wasn't. Uh, but like that's what that's what the original Night of the Living Dead's about. That's Dawn of the Dead that happens. Like Dawn of the Dead's more of a critique of capitalism in America, but like still he has consistently cast people of color in his films.
1: Yeah. There I mean there there is no excuse. There yeah. is there is zero excuse. So I just calling calling that out too is a negative about this film.
0: Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's that's more or less what I'd say. This is one of my, I, it, of course, all issues aside. This is one of my absolute f- fucking favorites. Um,
1: yeah, it's definitely a fun watch as far as like um, immersing yourself kind of in this fantasy, definitely nightmarish world. Mm-hmm.
0: I was surprised. I I had forgotten that there's zero nudity in this movie.
1: Yeah, that's true. I didn't see anything
0: (laughs) yeah no titties
1: (laughs) now that now that (laughs) surprising uh yeah when you have a dance school you often get like locker room even when she did go to the locker room everyone was fully clothed yeah um but yeah no that's that's very often an excuse to kind of show um any form of nudity is is uh any sort of sport or like you know high school like we've got the opening shot of carrie um or like any sort of locker room um sequence is is always just like an excuse to kind of show some nudity there and they didn't take that
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i i, I just didn't i was surprised i was like oh it's exploitation like it's women in the dance school like i mean i'd seen this before um like 10 years ago in college but um it was one of those things i was like oh yeah that's right yeah that's uh yeah um one last thing about the music. Do you know who uh, sampled this song? Where you've heard it before?
1: Kenny Loggins.
0: <laughs> uh, Raekwon and Ghost Ghostface Killa sampled it in uh, uh, Legal Coke. Really? Yeah. I Yeah, they sampled it. the soundtrack in Legal Coke um, off of uh, uh, Ragu.
1: That's pretty cool. Yeah,
0: uh, which is a like, great fucking album. Like anything that's Raekwon and Ghost is fucking amazing. Like, I'm oh, so yeah. glad I got to go see them, but like,
1: brag much?
0: Yes, always. That I got to see the Jizza. Raekwon and Ghostface together? Yeah, I'm all brag about that.
1: <laughs> you know, fair enough.
0: Doing liquid, liquid Swords and Iron Man and only built for Cuban links, Like, fuck you.
1: <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'll definitely watch this again. It has its faults, but... Um,
0: I really want know. to see the remake. I haven't seen the remake yet.
1: Yeah, I, I would like to see that before I watch this one again. Yeah, um, it came out four sure. years ago. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's really all I have to say here.
0: Oh, yeah. No, this is one of those soundtrack movies that we slaps. could go on and on and on. But the soundtrack slaps. Certifiable. Written before the movie was even created. and Yeah. F- yeah. It was, it was, the movie came from the soundtrack, and I love that.
1: A million percent. So you guys know where to find us. We're on Instagram at Horror Babes Podcast. We're on Twitter at Horror Babes Pod. And we have a website, horrorbabespod.com. If you are enjoying us, feel free to give us a, a rating or a review on iTunes. Tell your friends. That's even more important than that. And until next time, bye, bye, babes.
0: babes.